everybody. Welcome to the Best Ever You Show. I'm Elizabeth Hamilton Garino here with Merrill Hodge. Hi, how are you? It's so good to see you. Elizabeth, how are you? I'm good. And thank you for having me. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, how much fun are we going to have? What a busy a weekend, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, so tell me when it's Super Bowl. Well, you know, we all know. I, I don't have to go through lengthy introductions. Everybody knows who you are. I'll put it with the nah, show. Not, that's, not, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> not necessarily true, but I'll yeah. put a big show description with us. Um, but so what's your weekend like when the Super Bowl is on? What do you, what do you, yeah, tell me all well, about that. It's, uh, it's like, man, actually, it's, it's, it's just this, it's the same thing, except it's the Super Bowl that every weekend is like during the football season, you know, you have Saturday is actually my, has been my day off for like 25 years. Well, I'm actually, well, it's almost 35 years from playing and then being at ESPN and doing studio work. Like Saturday is the day that it's college football's day. So it's yeah. the day off, you know, and then you get ready for Sunday and then at the conclusion of games or in, in this case, the game, yeah, you do your uh, your follow up of the game. So once that concludes, which is today, then the off season begins. So um, I'm in the off season. Yeah, if there really is an off season, they always say there's yeah. the off season. It's yeah, true. Cool, but yeah, well, there, there is an off season. I mean, when people say that, or there is an off season. The off season consists of the draft and getting ready <laughs> for the season. But it yeah. is the off season. It is the off season. Okay, so when we um, when we talked the other day on the phone, we were talking about Iowa and Idaho, and I just thought that'd make for a yeah. pretty cute story because you are from Idaho, I am right. from Iowa, and people get those confused all the time. I was telling you the story of how I was in a teen pageant. I was Miss Iowa teen way back when in 1988, and I went to the national pageant, and Miss Idaho won. Natalie Nakaya won the whole thing. I got on the plane to go back home, and I was like, yeah, way to go, way to go. I'm like, Iowa. <laughs> You've kind of got a similar yeah. thing, right? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a, I do have a service. It's, it's very funny. Um, now I got to go back when I got drafted. Now this is, you got to use, so think of 1988. I got drafted in 87. So what was truly available to help us with understanding geography, um, the layout of, of the United States? I mean, it, it's not that we didn't have computers. So, you know, you didn't have that, that easy access for that. Cause I always use reference to, I think everybody had that globe. <laughs> yeah. See there. Oh no. Just froze. And that, that globe was how you got to see where, you know, the, a state might be. And since I had never left the state of Idaho, I really wasn't, or I didn't care about other states until I got drafted. And I was like, hmm, I wonder where Pennsylvania is. Then I see Pennsylvania is next to New York. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh my gosh. So I learned geography as I drove. After I got drafted, I did fly, but I drove um, to Pittsburgh. I actually stopped in Iowa. It was one of my one of my stops that I had in Iowa. So anyway, getting that out of the way, that when people are over in Pennsylvania, they would go about as far as Iowa and stop. People who were in Idaho didn't go much further than Iowa because they kept asking, well, where's Pittsburgh? Where's Pennsylvania? Where? So every time I would walk out my first year, when I came out of the tunnel, people would start yelling at me, go Hawkeyes, go Hawkeyes. Love you guys. And, they, and teammates of mine would go, man, you played at Iowa? I'm like, no, nah, I played at Idaho. I go, but listen, it's, it's close enough. I go, I'm not going to sit there and change everybody's, I mean, 
correct yeah. everybody that says it because everybody said it. Nobody ever said Idaho. Idaho. So I think majority of the state probably still believes I, I played at Iowa, quite honestly. But whatever, uh, right? I never got that's Idaho State. Thing. I always got Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, <laughs> that's where people think I played. Um, so yeah. I did work out in their weight room, the wrestling gym. Um, one of my trips back, so I can say that I at least stopped there and was yeah. a part of the university for a workout at least. Well, now you know an actual Iowa Hawkeye, so you're all good. <laughs> so you've got a couple words, uh, three words across your chest there and on your hat, find okay. a way. Let's yeah. talk about that. That's really important. In case we can't hear each other again, let's just at least get that covered. And I'll hold <laughs> well, um, it, I, I think the easiest way to explain it is these words have helped me live a dream and fight to live. Um, they... They really resonated with me my first time when I was 12 years old. Um, I had had a, I never had a bedroom forever. Um, I, I finally, my, my dad announces the concrete basement downstairs is going to be converted to two bedrooms and a family room. One of those bedrooms was mine. And I'd always envisioned if I had my own bedroom, I wanted a wall of cork. Hmm. And that wall of cork was so I could pin goals up. And my dad asked me about that. I said, well, I'm going to pin goals up. So he said, we'll see what we can do. In the meantime, um, he gets it. Um, he get he gets he, he builds the wall for me, um, but I was pinning up my goals, and the very top of the goal was gonna sit. My goal board was gonna I was gonna play in the National Football League. That was my ultimate goal. I had junior high, high school, and college to attend, so I made a pyramid, if you will. It's like steps, and all these steps led to that. And I'm standing there on my bed. I got that goal up, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I start thinking of all the things that people would say to me, and one of four things was always said. Right after someone goes, hey, what are you doing? You grow up. I'm like, I'm gonna play in the National Football League. Oh, you know how hard <laughs> yeah. that is. Oh, don't want to. You know what like the odds of you playing in the National Football League are? Oh, son, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I wouldn't want you to be disappointed. Or it was impossible. So as I'm looking at that goal, I, I just start thinking about those things. And um, this is my first exercise in what I always when I when I speak around the country, I I get to a point where I ask people. Do you control your mind or does your mind control you? Because that was that moment when my mind was controlling me. My mind was feeding me every little thing I had ever heard. And the more I sat there and let that consume my thought process, I will play in the National Football League all decorated and in bold letters. Like nothing more than words on a wall. And that's when that moment happened where things would change for me the words find a way pop into my head and they immediately inspired action. I got a new energy about it. Really what happened at that moment, I now controlled my mind. I was in charge and listen, didn't mean I know where I was going to go, but it, it inspired me to do something about it. And it, it did send me on, it sent me on a journey. I've learned so many things that I never would have garnered had I just surrendered to those people saying how hard it was, the odds, uh, impossible to put all your eggs in one basket. Wouldn't want you to be disappointed. Now go think about in life. I mean, so nobody's ever going to be disappointed. When I think about that, I was like, without disappointment, without struggle, without heartache, like you can never appreciate joy and success. So how would you even appreciate that if you didn't have the other? You don't have anything to compare it to. Um, and the people who were supposed to be uh, were the people who were supposed to encourage me were the first ones to discourage me. You know, Why the, is that? older adults. Oh, you know, crazy. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Is that just uh, like know, a protect I, your kid thing, or like you just you really don't want disappointment for your children? I I, yeah. I feel that sometimes it's like, but well, there's naysayers I too. I, yeah, I don't. 
I guess, you know, when I, um, well, it's probably why I see things through a child's eyes more than most adults, because those lessons really um, help create me, um, help stimulate um, how I think. Um, so maybe that was good they did that, but um, it also helped me break chains that I didn't pass on to my kids because I think it's important from a parenting perspective and how I raise my kids is to help them understand the outcomes, rather you make a good decision or a bad decision. You know, it isn't like, hey, you do that, you're dead. You do that, you're grounded forever. You do that. I mean, there's a consequence also for doing things right. There's a reward for that. There's a value in doing things right. You know, so you explain the outcomes. When my kids would struggle with certain things, are they striving for things? I used the parenting tool to find a way because what it did is it got them actively engaged in the process. I mean, I'd help guide them and work with them and be by their side, but the more I could get them to think about the process and work through the process. And if, listen, it depends on the age. I have this other parenting tool that is the most powerful thing I've ever used in my life. Um, and it's, I judge my kids in the yardsticks of their years and not mine. And it's always given me two things in life, patience and perspective. And I still use it to this day. I mean, you know, is it applicable when they're age five? Yeah. And it's still applicable when they're age 26 and 28, which they are today. Um, and it's just been a great tool. And what it has done, when I say it's a tool, I've learned more by listening than I've ever learned by talking. This isn't about, you know, you you exercising your your voice all the time. It's listening and you bridge this, you create this bridge of communication um, to where you my kids start to lean on me. They come to me. I still to this day, you know, um, that's where you kind of find out how, how well, did, how well did you invest? And this, I've always looked at this, you know, with, with kids. Cause I remember my, my parents didn't invest in me. Um, my mom died at a young age. So I really didn't have that relationship very long, but my parents didn't invest in me. I remember they, they, it's almost like they woke up when I was like 18, when I was getting ready to leave um, high school, go to college. And they, all of a sudden they wanted to do things with me. They wanted me to be a part of the process. And I remember, I still never forget it to this day. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm moving on, yeah. you know? Um, and I just, I've never forgot that. And I have no, I don't regret that. Cause you can't miss what you never had. Yeah. You know, you, you know, people, when you say that and people who have a good relationship, they always use their relationship for comparison which I can't blame them, but, uh, and it's hard to imagine that your parents and your mother or father, you didn't have a really close relationship and there wasn't this um, communication or this closeness. I just didn't have that. So it didn't bother me that I didn't have it. Um, but I know that there's extreme value in it, you know, based on things that happened to me as a young kid. And that's why as a parent, I was going to make sure that I didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I was perfect. Absolutely not. I mean, I, you oh, know, come I on. I watch my kids now. Well, I watch my kids today. I watch my daughter. She's got four kids. Um, my son doesn't have, his wife don't have kids yet, but they got four. And I just watch how she parents. And I'm like, wow. I mean, that's just, cool. and we communicate a lot. And what I, what I find, you know, for parents out there, the things, and uh, you find out more about unsolicited comments than when you ask a question. And I've always learned that in my speaking, I find that when I get done speaking, unsolicited comments are much more pure and real than asking your best friend, how'd I do? Hey, you're great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and my, my kids always refer, I bet you about 80% of the time that they refer to something that impacted them. It's what they saw. Hmm. It's the modeling they saw. 
a lot more powerful than what they heard. You know, that, that, that matter, that, that's important, but what they saw is, and, I, and I'm seeing that now. And, and, and I tried to invest, my second I laid eyes on my, my daughter and my son, I was invested in them from that moment on, from teaching them, to loving them, to supporting them, to being there for them, to growing with them. I was just committed to that. I, I, and I didn't realize that would happen. Elizabeth, I really didn't. I, uh, I didn't really, I've never been one. I wasn't like, I, I can't wait to have kids. I was not like that at all. I didn't, I didn't even think about having kids. And then, you know, when I did, I was like, oh, when I just laid eyes on her, I was like, oh, my life changed forever. For the better, too, by the way. It's the greatest yeah. thing I've ever done. I love my kids without end. And I love talking about parenting. And I do, you too. Know, we need, we we need more people. For, you're parenting. I have four boys, and you've got kids. And it's pretty fun to four, watch. Yeah. Yeah, they're mine are 20, 22, 24, and 26. All about to change. This is the last year was even. This one turns odd. The 21, 23, 25, 27. And they're, uh, that's good. yeah, that's it's impressive. cool, isn't it? They're, that's, that's they're just a, beautiful, yeah. beautiful oh, people. And somebody it's just, fun to talk about things other than football. You know, it's, it's yeah. neat to know you. It's cool to talk about football, though. And I imagine people are like, please ask him something about football. I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah. Um, no, what, I, what I want to ask you about um, somebody. I just, I love John Madden. We talked about John Madden for a little bit. What a person. Yeah. Well, what you know, being. Oh. Yep. you know, John Madden, when Madden was, um, when I was playing, you know, John Madden was the standard, like, um, like I made, listen, where's my all Madden? Well, actually my all Madden. No, there's yeah. my all Madden. I don't know if you yeah. see my all Madden trophies over here. Um, Sweet. my sweaters over there. I never, I've only worn it one time. When What's I your sweater? It's a, it's a, what's that mean? It's a, well, it's a, it's just like a sweater. He, he oh. sent a sweater. It's, it's a, it has all Madden on it. The old oh, leather cool. helmet. It is, um, I've only worn it one time, which I just wore when he passed and I took a picture mm -hmm. with it just because that was probably one of my greatest, um, recognitions in my career that when I became, when he, when he selected me to be on the all Madden team. Now, this is how Madden made you part of his team. He had to be, he had to see a play in person. So a lot of people in the AFC never got that because he was an NFC based on the network he worked for. So he was covering teams like the Dallas Cowboys, San Francisco 49ers, Philadelphia, and New York Giants. I mean, he was predominantly in the NFC side. And the way the schedules go, you may cross his path one time if you're lucky. Wow. And, and it was the one time that I crossed his path that I, I just had, I just had a game. I had something unique happen in the game, actually, that put me in another category in his eyes. But it's actually because he knows the value of like playing football is not always about, you know, um, who makes, you know, who throws the ball the best, who makes, you know, the best run, you know, who makes the best catch. It's little things that maybe go on in the scope of a play. It's not your responsibility. Like I'll tell you this, I, there's a lot of players that I would separate myself from when you have an assignment. Okay, let's say I'm supposed to block you, Elizabeth, but you don't blitz. Somebody in front of you blitzes and they run right by me. Well, I don't block them because you're my responsibility. And the coach is like, well, wait a minute. What does that make sense? If you don't block the person that's running by you, it doesn't matter if Elizabeth doesn't blitz because that guy's making the sack. So it's just like some common sense things in football yeah. that, you know, but I did my job, you know, I, that's not my responsibility. And that's not the case. It's, 
sometimes you got, you know, that's why we talk about instincts and reacting to plays. Anyway, Reggie White um, is one of those players that going into a game plan, you just, you need to know where number 92 is. <laughs> and non, yeah. 92, 92 would, we, we knew this by watching him and studying him. If he wasn't having success and our right tackle, he struggled with, he'd start moving up and down the offensive line. Well, it was around the second half, and he was not having success. So he lined up over our right guard. And our right guard was a guy named Brian Blankenship from Nebraska. I know who that is, yeah. And, and Brian Blankenship, this is not, and this is not an exaggeration. This is, not, this is not made up. You can't make this up because I know I don't have enough creativity to make this up. <laughs> but when he does it, Brian Blankenship, this before we snap the ball, starts screaming for help. He's literally screaming, help 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 now in the game plan if a running back was to that side he didn't go out for a route he did help reggie white but most of the time that was going to be the right tackle and we already knew that was part of the rule just wherever 92 was we'd help out so i was going to help him well snap the ball reggie just slaps him i mean he just knocks him right out of the way and here he comes so i step up and i start blocking him i just get in i mean listen i'm not only thing I'm doing is I'm impeding him so he's not getting to our quarterback. Our quarterback right. in, ends up able to throw the ball. We complete the first down. We get on third down. We get in the huddle, and everybody in the huddle is telling Brian, hey, quit, you can't be yelling for help. That's a dead giveaway. Stop yelling for help. We'll help you out. <laughs> we get up. It's a next our next third down scenario. Reggie White walks over him again. He starts screaming for help again. <laughs> Snap the ball. He knocks him out of the way. And here he comes. So I step up and I block Reggie White again. I block, we complete the pass. And I had about 100 yards rushing in this game. Well, that combination of blocking Reggie White two times in a row, Madden lost his mind over it. He was <laughs> yeah. like, I've never seen, he goes, offensive lineman can't block him. And he, yeah. and, and that was, what, <laughs> that, that, that was one thing because it was so unique in the game. Yeah. And then the way I played otherwise, um, he made me a, um, an all Madden player. And, um, and that was better than the Pro Bowl. Back then, like you, like if you were all mad, that's all that mattered. And mm. and he was a very, uh, he was a very genuine. You know, he his I didn't know this at the time, and it it was what sparked me into broadcasting, is that I wanted to help people understand the game and ex and have evidence and show people if something good is if there's good about a player, show it. Good about a team, show it. But also if there's a, somebody struggling or not playing well or it's not efficient show that don't just don't just say it show mm -hmm. it and and if you don't just say somebody stinks and you don't have any evidence behind that or you can't support it and you can't say why they struggle and that's actually um what brought him into broadcasting which was the same thing that inspired me to do it because i had a an article written on me that was i mean it was one of the most abusive articles i've ever read about and what was, what, yeah what was what was oh. troublesome about it is the guy who wrote it he assumed everything. He didn't come in the locker room. This is after after a game. And the, the judgments that he made, first of all, he, you could tell he knew nothing about the game. Yeah. He butchered me for getting the ball more than our other running back, who was a first-round draft pick that year. Uh, now, keep in mind, we won the game, too. I think I had a, a buck ten and a two touchdowns. I mean, but it, it was just when you read it, you're just like, this is like – Well, no, it was like he had a vendetta. Yeah, and he was gonna make he was gonna make a story out of nothing, and the things that he said were incomplete. Um, they were not factual, and I'm like, gosh, dang, he didn't come in the locker room. 
He didn't come yeah. in the locker. Like if he didn't come up and just ask me a couple questions, we could clear this whole thing up for you. And it was like, he purposely did it, which that's trouble. Uh, that could be troublesome from a journalist perspective. People that do that. There's more of that actually than you would think. There's more now in this country than you would think. I mean, it's not just sports, but that's kind of what drove me there. You know, it's the only guy ever addressed, ever addressed, you know, because of his, just his grotesque ignorance and incompetence and his, his belligerence and, um, and his arrogance to do stuff like that, you know, and how unfair it was and how foul it was. And I, and I, that's when it kind of, you know, it was early in my career too. So um, I started getting into doing things and broadcasting during the season and the off season. And that's, that's kind of how uh, I, I propelled there. It drove me. I, I love it when the announcers sort of teach you as they talk. I, I just, I think that's brilliant. Instead well, of just I, talking over the game and, and dissing everybody or whatever, or praising it, whatever it is, but they actually kind of anticipate what's going to happen next or explain what just happened or whatever. I'm, I'm fortunate in that my, my dad taught me football, not to your level, of course, like that, but there's you know, I have an idea of what you're saying and so forth. I, I gen, genuinely understand. And I cheered for football for five years and all this stuff. So I have, I, I'm lucky like that. I, I do under actually understand football, but for the people who don't, understand football and you're watching football with somebody or whatever sometimes the announcers do a really good job of explaining it so that's really helpful yeah i, I think there's a fine line you know yeah. you don't you don't want to i don't think the goal is to show people you're smarter than everybody else <laughs> yeah and, and you're I like yeah. that, that's not that's, that's Annoying. Your, i mean if that if that's your goal then you're gonna skin you're gonna leave a lot of people in the dust especially if you're talking about the national football league yeah uh, the goal is to like i always envision like um could i be clearly saying something like that people that really know the game say but the majority might not who can i how can i help somebody understand maybe something they did they saw but they didn't understand or they yeah. missed that if they were to watch that they would it would explain it um and do it in its most simplest form so that you don't overwhelm someone because i've always thought in all sports the more you can help them understand it the more they'll enjoy it you know the more they can say oh i can now or, or to look for and then they start looking for that then they start to understand the game and they can follow it better i mean that applies to every sport you know not just yeah. football i i mean like i hate i run i hate I, I just don't watch nascar racing is not my but my brother does he loves it right mm -hmm. and i saw this uh this one race where they're and they always talking about drafting right and that's when the two cars are close together and i'm watching two cars close together i'm like like okay, what does dra what, what drafting mean? You're not helping me. I mean, I know the car is like one inch from the other car. I have no idea what that. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. How that helps? Yeah. And they came out with this flow chart. I saw this flow chart where this car came. You know, it would come with one car into the back car, and it showed the differences of sp speeds. I was like, okay, now that helped me. <laughs> that, that 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 cap I cap the cap held me captive for that. You know, twenty thirty. 40, 45 minute that they talked about it because I they were helping me understand it versus talking over my head. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, they got they had some oh, visuals to help you understand it, which I, you know, I think you do that in all sports. You're, you make it more appealing for people who like it and people yeah. who are maybe on the edge, they might come over and, and start watching it more. Well, yeah, it's, it's hard if you don't, for me anyway, it's hard for me if, if I don't play the sport, it's hard for me to understand the sport. So that rules out a lot of the guys' sports. But fortunately, my dad raised us going to the sports. So, you know, I've hmm. seen hockey. He's taught me hockey and baseball and football and basketball. I played basketball as tiny as I am. I'm 5'2 on a big hair day. 
And um, <laughs> you know, I'm just not very big, but I played basketball all through elementary school and junior high and stuff like that. Awesome. Switched to cheerleading it. when everybody went, when I went taller than me. Um, did you play, I've, I've got a lot of questions for you about like, go back as a kid for me. Did you know, like when you were in like preschool, kindergarten or whatever, when you were a little, like, you know, four or five, did you know you were good at football? No. Um, in fact, in fact, I was, I was a much better at basketball. Well, and back up. I was best at baseball initially. I played all three sports um, and I loved all of them. I couldn't wait to play them. I was a much better baseball player. I got my, my first real success in baseball. I was a catcher and I played shortstop and I played, I played up. I was the youngest playing in the, uh, in the grade I was in because I think I was around seven and, but I could catch. I was a good, really good catcher. I had a good arm and, and a lot of people don't want to catch. Um, no. Hard. And I, I and I loved it. I loved it, and it got me. It was made me part of the team, and so I love. I just and I was, I had really good agility, lateral movement. So I played shortstop. I had a really good bat. And I loved baseball. I was best at baseball, and then basketball become became another sport. I started to play, and I end up winning the state in the free throw contest. Um, cool. But there's a so I, I I could shoot the ball, but I was very one dimensional as far as I had one. I'm right-handed and that's all I would ever use my right hand. So we started to evolve and move up the ladder. I was, I realized my skills weren't the way they really should. Yeah. We got you again. Yeah. 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 Our phone, yeah, whatever. So it's all good. No, I, thanks I for coming back in though. And, and um, no, so basketball. I'm so sorry. Okay. Yeah. So basketball, basketball. But, baseball. Baseball. Those, I was better at them, but I loved football because of the contact of it. Baseball was too slow for me. Um, basketball, especially as I was evolving, um, even though I was considered one of the best in the area, I just, um, my skill set wasn't good enough. It just, yeah. it just wasn't. And I didn't work at it as hard as I did the other, um, um, football and baseball. And then it got to where, um, fo baseball became off season or in the summer. And that just wasn't going to happen. I had to have a job and I worked from five in the morning till 10 at night, all seven days a week, all summer long. Um, yeah, football was even jeopardized from that. I'm just glad football was during the school year or I would have probably not been able to play football because I had to have a job. Um, we didn't have much. My parents told me at age 12, they sat me down. They sat us all down. When we got to about age 12 and they're like, listen, we'll provide room and board. And if you want anything beyond that, that's, that's on you. You know, wow. so you're gonna have to get a job, and so I move. I, I had paper out. Um, I would drive. I drive, my, ride my motorcycle to the farm, pick up a truck, and drive it like 17 miles out to um, the Mashad Flats, where I moved pipe. Um, so I'd move sprinkler pipe and and it did irrigation, baled hay, um, harvested, worked on a ranch. I mean, I've rode horses for years. I was a gopher trapper. That's one of my first jobs, my first time. What does you, it go for trapper? You, it's like Bill Murray. You'll never, <laughs> as long as you do this, you, you, you'll you never, ever, you could ask somebody what was their childhood jobs. Nobody, if somebody does say this, please let me know. But I had a job to trap gophers, my brother and I. So in the weekends, we would trap gophers for ranchers and farmers. So when yeah. in the West, gophers um, damage the ground in a lot of ways. You know, they dig holes. I know dig two holes. Um, and they do that because when a predator comes down, there's two whole options. So that's why they do it to try to throw them off. So you have to have two traps per, per mound of dirt. And so we would trap, you know, we put out some 20, 
20 traps. So I mean, we'd, we'd trap 20, we'd, we'd put out 20 traps, but we require 40 traps based on having two holes. Um, we saddle up our horses and we cover some 800 acres oh um, from farmland, farmland to ranching areas because a lot of irrigation is flood irrigated. So you, with the, with the, um, the ditch banks, they would flood over. Well, if there's a bunch of holes, the water doesn't flow. It, it goes down in the holes and doesn't flood like you'd like it to. And then the bigger part is animals will step in it and break their arm, break their arm or legs. And so, um, you know, cattle ranchers struggle with that. They did it to horses too. So the more, the less gophers, the better. So we would trap gophers. We got a dollar a tail. We'd keep them in a, uh, in a, in a little jar, glass jar. And we'd ride actually the horses down to the local convenience store and we'd hand them in and get a dollar a tail and, on a weekend, good weekend, we can make $60, $70, you know, so that's big money. You know, when you talk about the seventies, that's big money mm-hmm. when we, we make that. So it was, it was one of my jobs that I, what I had and um, I will never I'm glad football was, I, you might not, I, I don't know many people that are the trap gophers, you know, as a kid, and that's what my brother and I did for years. Corn. That was What's good. that? I detasseled corn. Now what's that? I don't know what that. Just stuff. Well, it's Iowa stuff with cornfields and corn. <laughs> right. So well, what we did, we harvested corn. We you know there was more potatoes and grain and barley and alfalfa and stuff. But we we did corn, not as much. We didn't move pipe and corn because it gets too tall. You can't move irrigation pipe and corn. <laughs> so, so when you're doing that, are you like, how am I going to go from here? Like, let's let's talk to people in general who have really big dreams and goals maybe playing in the NFL, playing in the ML, whatever it is. And they're there and they're, you know, trapping gophers. And they're like, how am I going to actually get to what I want to do here? How do you well, go from there to there? One of the most powerful things I've ever done, and I try to I try to actually encourage people to do these things. Um, I go back to what I said at the very beginning. You know, do you control your mind? Does your mind control you? Okay, it starts right there. If you can't control your mind and how do you control your mind? You know, people ask me that all the time. I go, well, controlling your mind is really you set an agenda for how you're going to think and what, how you're going to operate. So you create a plan. That's why action is so important. Action leads to a plan. So even though I don't have a court board wall in my bedroom, I do have it in my office over there. I've had not, I have had one forever, ever since I put, did this at age 12. So I put up goals, things that I'm trying to strive challenges and I put them up there so I have a visual every day that keeps my mind focused on where I'm going or a reminder. So I start and end my day. And having that constant reminder doesn't mean I'm going to not struggle, doesn't mean I'm not going to have bad days, but it does help me plow through them. I become, I be, that becomes a habit and a plan. I, um, Aristotle was one of my, one of the quotes I've, uh, that was instrumental. One of the, pillars in my life is that um in fact i was reading I, actually, I was trying to find things on walter payton i stumble across it but it becomes one of the principles in my life is that we are what we repeatedly do therefore excellence is not an act but a habit and that really moved me as a kid because i'm like i knew i needed to be excellent um i knew i didn't have room for error and that if i create good habits and I can accomplish what I'm striving for. I can be excellent at what I'm striving for. I go back to controlling your mind. You're in charge. And so many people surrender that. You know, they give 
they give power to the to the news that throws out some garbage they buy into it um somebody tells them oh you know how many people have done that in your life not very many they buy into that right. you know versus put that goal over there to have a reminder and then you do do your part every single day i used every single day walter payton what separated him was another thing that i'd learned as a kid is uh, an interview process that he gave talking about what made him better than everybody else is that he wanted it more than they do every day. You know, not when it was convenient, not when it worked for them every day. So that means the hard days you plow through them, you learn to plow through them. And it just, it actually, the more you learn to do that, the better you learn to apply that, the easier those tough days are because you plow through them. You're accustomed to doing that. You're built to do that. Um, and this is not something that you got to be born with a special gene everybody because you have the two the two tools that are required for that the two most important tools and that is your mind and spirit everybody has them how can you develop them where they work for you and they're constantly working for you now listen um you can develop them i don't care who you are i don't care what your circumstances are you have that ability and they can be applied to whatever goal dream challenge circumstance you're dealing with i will be fair in this you just don't start it today and it becomes easy i mean at age 12, it was a lot harder than it is at 57. I mean, 57, I can apply things a lot quicker to a challenge or a goal or dream than I did. I mean, but there's a lot of years that I've worked on that over and over. It's part of my makeup now. So I'm just telling you, it can be done. It doesn't, yeah. you don't have to have some special gene. It can be done. The, la the thing that brings it all together, it's every day. That, that might be the most powerful thing I ever heard at age 15 that, you know, even at that age, I was like, I was like, I bought into it because I was like, you know what? Because I, I believe like I could do that, which I could. And then every day I practiced, every day I trained and every day I played from that moment on became a part of me. And what was interesting is what I love about sports. That's why I think it's so passionate for kids to play sports is you can learn those things. You learn accountability. You learn to build resiliency, which we need in, in, in our kids today. And I don't know of any environment you can do that with. You know, there's not many environments that, that give our kids that opportunity. And it helped me learn so many things that I could apply to life and that I still apply and exercise on a daily basis that I'm indeedly grateful for. Without it, I just I wouldn't be the same person that I am today without it. Do you in looking at you, you would think oh, he's never had a hard day in his life. Oh. That's not the truth. <laughs> no, that uh, is not the truth. You know, you think, oh, he's. He's just got it so good, you know, NFL and this and that. And, you know, tell, tell, really actually tell us like some of the things that you've gone through. Cause I, I'm just like, wow, you are so strong. Well, I see that, but I mean, strong. Well, it, um, that's kind of you to say, um, you know, there's, that's, I talk about sports, how they build resiliency and they do, you know, life can give you some twists and turns to help you build resiliency. I mentioned that I used to work on a farm. Well, I almost lost this hand in a farming accident. Um, actually, if you, I lost part of my finger, but these three fingers were put back on. How the, this, this had to be around 1976. So the plastic surgeon that did it back then, I mean, how he put my hand, because there was about 380 stitches that put this hand back together. It took me about a year to rehab it, but I thought I was going to lose this hand. So that happens around a around twelve, actually, if I remember right. But Is I tried to go almost fingers? lose that. These, What's that? These three fingers. 
Yeah. So I lost, I lost, I lost the tip of this one, but they lost, thought I was going to lose my entire finger. They, they thought they were going to have to cut this when I went through puberty because it would, my, my bone is just below the fingernail. And this used to, when I was a kid, oh my gosh, I was so embarrassed of this because my hand was, my hand looked deformed to be honest with you for a long time. And I was so embarrassed of it. I had a gymnastics accident with this right hand with these three fingers. Isn't that strange? These three fingers were crushed in a gymnastics accident. Only the other hand. Right hand. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, those things are, you know, so you can identify with that. Those are, uh, they can be tragic in your life at a young age, you know. And it gave me that moment where I see they didn't know if I'd be able to play football that year just because my hand was so, so badly beaten up. Um, I was able to do it. um, But I might, you know, I lost my mom um, not many years after that that scenario, you know, and losing somebody tragically at a young age is, you know, that's another ace in somebody's life where you, you go through an emotional thing and that you just, it's out of sequence, you know, yeah, I mean, really. as much as we like to believe it, you know, you know, death is a part of the process, you know, but, you know, ideally you do that when you're, when you're 90, yeah. right. And it's, yeah. and it's cause, you know, and even older, though your parents yeah. died before you, for you, yeah. it's still not at that age. So, you know, that was, that was something that um, really changed our lives. I mean, it, it completely disassembled our family. And um, I probably still deal with things like, you know, that I missed out on, you know, that I didn't have because, you know, we kind of fell apart as a family. Um, shortly after my career ended, I was diagnosed with cancer with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the one thing I could tell you that um, probably stood out the most on that day I call it the dark days of diagnosis because it isn't just one dark day. There are many days to come after you hear it the first time. Yeah. Is that when my doctor said, you know, I had a three pound tumor in my lower back, he said, ironically, an irony, it's like the size and shape of a football. But when he said, I, the, pro, the, the brutal chemotherapy, you're going to go through the process. Like, I can't guarantee it's going to work. Like, I, I'm telling you to hear those words. Yeah, that sucks. Um, the real reality of it um you can't even you can't create a scenario like people go what would you think if you somebody told you that you don't have the ability to do to really bring the truth of that emotion you just don't i know because i've i'd, I'd have many scenarios go like gosh dang if i you know people ask me oh, if you they said you have six months to live how are you gonna hey, you can try to create you ain't just ain't creative enough to draw up the truest rawest of those emotions so hearing that, and then, you know, my doctor said, I, I can't guarantee you it's going to work. And he hung up. I mean, they were dark. I mean, it was the darkest days that I've ever been around, you know, because I could just, all I could think of was chemotherapy and dying. Um, and kids now, and, and children, yeah. children at this point too. And that's the word, that's a terrible feeling of well, like was, thinking you're going to pass away and you have young kids and stuff like that. What, yeah, what, was, was what happened there? Well, well, it was a double-edged sword for me because I'd lost my mom at a young age and I just oh, know yeah. the sting of death and that weighed on me um, <laughs> that would they have to go through that. Um, but then in in a, a roundabout way, they, especially my daughter, my daughter, my because she was nine at the time and she is a very special, unique individual. And I think every parent should feel like that about their kids. Um, and I'm no different, but I mean, when I just pull myself aside, I've introduced her so many people. I go, now, this is a unique human being, and and then they're like, oh, of course, of course, of course, you say that. No, 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 I get it. 
I, I completely then, get it. Then they yeah. call, right. And they call up, they go, oh my gosh. I go, I know I'm telling you. I go, I don't, I don't know how she's my kid. <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But she is, she really, she, she's the one. Yeah, I told you I use find a way to be as a parent. I'm like, that's a parenting tool. She comes up with me. I'm like, well, you got to find a way, sis. I mean, you got it back. You know, you. What, what, what do you think? Well, she's the one that got in my lap and she, listen, I was gone. I was over dark days. I mean, I was chemotherapy and dying. That was all I was thinking. And she gets a little dainty arms around my neck and she says, Hey dad. And she finally gets my attention and she goes, you better find a way. And I was like, Oh my, it was like, wham. And I'll tell you what it did. It, 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 it changed my energy. I got, I mean, it was like age 12 again. Like when I now was in charge, find a way had inspired me again. Like I'm going to take action. I'm like, you're, you know, you, I could just, she was right. And it, right that day on, okay. Um, dying was not an option. Being sick and tired, laying on a couch, feeling sorry for myself, not an option. Um, going bald was the only thing that was going to be an option. I was going to beat it. Um, and it, and that I'm telling you that that drove me. Did that mean I didn't have I I I, I didn't have a bad day? Oh, I had some real bad days. I had burn holes there. I mean, I was. I mean, I remember laying in the bed a bed one day, and yeah, people go, "I was so sick, I couldn't even reach over and grab the phone." I was like, "I've never been that sick. Who's that sick?" <laughs> I remember. Laying there going, I can't move. Yeah. I, I honestly, I mean, so I had bad days, but you know, through all of that, if I don't have it, if I have not diagnosed with cancer, we are not having this conversation right now because five years they do these scans after you're done, about when through about a year and a half of, of treatment. Um, every six months you have to relive it because they got to do pet cat scan again, look at your body, see if you know, there's any, you know, sign. Yeah. It's it's a disease, right? right? So you're like good? you have. It's well, it's it, it's a it's a oh. great it's a great it's it gives you that opportunity to control your mind or your mind control you. Yeah. Okay, it's another exercise that you, that I used. Okay, you go in and you do these scans. Your mind starts wandering. You know, it can easily yeah. go down because we've already lived it. The last thing you want to do is live it again. Um. So I I garnered strength from those exercises. I did not let it control me. I had confidence in my health. I had confidence in how I felt. I didn't have anything that felt abnormal. I, you know, and I did have things that I didn't know were symptoms before my first one. So I never let myself go down that road because, but it's easy. It, it tries to take you there. But the last scan I had, um, I will never forget it at year five, because it was a real pivotal one. Cause they're like, if we don't find any incident of disease here, you're, you're cured. Because I had a chance to be cured. And he called me up. He said, Merrill, you're cured. And I could feel it. I could feel it. there's something else he's going to say. He said, but. And I said, why? Why? Is there got to be a but? He's like, um, the doctor was looking. I mean, the guy that was looking at the scan, he goes, he noticed that you had an enlarged aorta. And I, I didn't know what that is. I was like, well, what's that? He goes, that's your heart muscle. And I was like, oh, shoot. I've been training my whole life. Of course, my heart muscle is bigger than, you know, a guy's average. That's stupid. Right? No, I'm stupid, but I'm like, that's dumb. I just, I just blow it up. I'm like, oh, God, that's irrelevant. He's like, yeah, you got to watch it. So he tells my family practitioner, Dr. Yates, long story short, they look at it. Now, let's, I'll give you some numbers. Let's say a one is the standard, right? Say mine was around two or three hours. We'll just say two. And let's say emergency surgery is around three. And now these numbers aren't exactly true. I'm just giving you some, some relationship as far as numbers. So it never really changed after a couple of years. Long story, 
um, just one, I, I was training, I was doing some different things. And for some reason, every time I did the high intensity stuff throughout the week, I would get thinking like, gosh, dang, I wonder if something happens to me down here. And then I'm thinking, why would I think like that? I've been training my entire life. Why would that? And just something bothered me. I like, I get my gut. There was something wrong. So this goes on for about a month. And I call my Dr. Yates. I say, listen, I want to do a, a stress test. And he goes, why? And I go, well, I hadn't done one for five years. One thing that I am not the average guy where you're like, I'm not going to the doctor. I go, I lived in the training room. Now, I, didn't, I never missed a practice. I never missed a game. And here's how I think about it. If I'm hurt, I want to know what can get me better. Yeah. And why am I hurt? And what do I got to do to get better? That's just how I think. Um, and that's how I act. If I think something's wrong with me, man, I want to go validate it. And in my health, I want to validate my health. If I think there's something wrong, let's go figure out what it is and how can I take care of it? How can I address it? I just, I've always been like that. So I said, well, I haven't done it for five years and I'd like to validate because I was training and I was doing some things and I really thought I was in, in what I thought was optimal shape at that time. Yeah. And I do the stress test and he, well, he said, well, let's do an echocardio on that aorta while we're at it. And I'm like, oh, good idea. I never thought of that, <laughs> but good idea. I don't even know why I wanted to do that. So I do the stress test. And I remember I was on there for almost 30 minutes. And I was like, uh, it's 50 years, uh, 50 years old, 50, whatever I was. It's maybe 52. Actually, it's probably yeah. 52. And when I'm Hi. done, like the, the, the lady who's doing it was like, oh, my gosh. She goes, I didn't think you were going to quit on that thing. Well, then they laid me on the table real quick and they do an echocardio. I'm driving home. He calls me about 30 minutes later. He said, hey, you, you probably need to see a specialist. Here's the number. You need to call them. Um mm -hmm to get an appointment so i called him up and i remember it was around august the season was starting so i'm about to get busy and she says oh the doctor he can't he doesn't have anything open till december i said perfect because i i don't have time anyway i'll call you in december and i'll do this in february and she said fine i get, I get another hour and a half into my drive she calls back she goes he has an opening because i was coming back in a week to pittsburgh and i was like okay well i'll, I'll go in and see him i go in and i was just i'm telling you i'm sitting there is <laughs> nonchalant I, I was sitting there in a way i think that the uh the doctor was like i don't think he has a clue what's going on here which right. i did not he said um you know why you're here i said yeah because i go i gotta have i got a bigger battery order than anybody else on this planet and i i'm sure when i said that he was like okay this wise guy needs a lesson <laughs> yeah so he flipped, no he, he, flipped, he flipped he flips the screen up and he you see my heart and he said, he shows me, he goes, there's this line. He says, you see this line right here? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's perfect. He goes, we really want that. That's exactly how it wants to look. He said, you see this bubble here? And then at the top, there was this big bubble. He said, you see that? I go, I go, yeah. I go, he goes, that's not very good. He goes, we want it to be like the bottom. He goes, see that big bubble? And then he said, you see all this blue? Well, first he said the red. He said, yeah. He goes, that's really good. It's flowing in the right direction. See all this blue? And I said, yeah. He goes, okay, but your heart's leaking huh? and he goes, I, and I go, so I just have to say, well, how do you fix that? I never, he turned to me and goes, open heart surgery. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No oh. way. I was like, no way. I was like, he didn't just say open heart. Now to be told you had cancer and open heart, they're, they're shattering moments, but they're different. Yeah. You see, I remember the cancer one was just this darkness that would linger a long time. And then open heart was so final. Cause it's like, because he was like, he didn't want me to leave. He's like, you, you got, he goes, you're borderline more uh, emergency surgery right now, which I ended up not doing it. Then I waited a couple months, 
and that was stressful. <laughs> I should have probably yeah. never done yeah. that. But by the time I got in there, um, you know, but now you, you realize when you pick that day, I mean, it, not all surgeries go well. When yeah, I mean, not I mean, that was a very high rate, you know, and I mean, what they do oh, now is incredible. But but at the end of the day, you know, when you go into open heart surgery, everything gets. I mean, I don't even think I understood the magnitude of it, but that could be it. Yeah. And so that that was a that was a heavy decision, and and he said, listen, you know, if I go in, I think I could fix it which was the optimum things. I didn't want a replacement. I didn't have anything wrong with my heart. He goes, he wanted to look at my heart and see if I had blockage or other issues. And he's like, you know what? I have never seen anybody with an aorta defect like yours and not have something wrong, something else wrong. And how it probably was developed. Yeah. Well, well, yes, I was very, I was grateful for that. That's what helped me in my recovery. But one of two things caused it. It was either a genetic defect or what I believe. I don't think it was a genetic defect on my end. And he didn't believe it either. It, it came probably from just overtraining, doing things too hard. They see it a lot in Olymp- uh, power lifters, yeah. people who, are, who do a lot of explosive activities, and a lot of athletes, they see it. You weaken that aorta because you push it too hard. There's a reason that you have a maximum heart rate. Don't exceed it. There's a reason not to do that. And I, oh, I could tell you many times I blew through that and blew that apart. And that's just not smart. You know, that's not being healthy and that's not being tough. It's really – well, I come to find out I was really stupidity, really actually ignorance on my end. You know, I mean, what is it? There's dumb and stupid. Um, which one lacks knowledge? Stupid. I was stupid. You know, I just lack knowledge. You know, I just, I thought back then you just push through thing. And I, you know, it, it was a great value to learn how to train better, which I've, I've done that. But having to endure that was, yeah. was one where you're like, man, I just, I'm, I've had a lot of bullets I've dodged. And you start thinking, man. <laughs> talk about your mind controlling you. I was like, nah, I'm not going to let it happen. Here's what I do have um, going into this. I, in fact, I asked the doctor before when I got all said and done, I'm like, I'm, I go, when would I, because I had no symptoms. I had nothing, which you pro- most of the time you never do from what I had. Yeah. I so I go, when would I have known this? And he said, probably, he go, I go, when have you, I said, when would you have found this out? Or I had known. He said, oh, he goes, you'd have probably never known. And we'd probably find this in your autopsy. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's when it hit home. I was like, oh, my. You know, it's how lucky. So if I don't have cancer, I, I don't have any reason. I wouldn't have had any reason to have an echocardio after stress test. There'd be no reason. There's no history in my life. There's no history in my family. None. I had no symptoms. And it would have ruptured one day. And he said, short of being in front of a hospital with a surgeon like him, knowing it was that, is the only chance you'd have a survival, which would have been like 0.001, which is slim to yeah. none. And the, and the <clears throat> recovery from something like that is pretty tough too. And, you, you know, I would, in the shape you're in, it, it was that still hard or was it easier for you because you're in such great shape or how? Well, they gave me, right, um, but... <clears throat> when I, when I got set up, you know, I, I reason I didn't do it right away because I want to talk to ESPN. I was like, I, my season has started. I'm like, I just, I can't just, I just can't leave them hanging. I got a lot, there's a lot of, I got a lot of responsibility there. So um, I, when I talked to them, they say, listen, one thing, I, I mean, ESPN, every time I had a situation from cancer to this, they, they couldn't have been more supportive and helpful in every aspect of it. And it was like, you take whatever time you need and you get it done right. So I tell them, and I tell them it's going to be six weeks because that's what I was told. So um, I come out of, shoot, I came out of surgery. I was, 
I was in intensive care. I think I was sitting up and in a chair within an hour. Um, I was walking the next day. I was out by, I went, surgery was on Monday. I was out by Friday. I worked out on Friday when I got home. Um, just a little bit, just a little treadmill movement. And cause the only thing I had to be worried about, I talked to the doctor, my heart was fine. There was nothing wrong with my heart. Now he had actually fixed that. It was the bones here and the, the surgery that had taken place. So, um, um, I came back the following Monday. Um, I went home. So now about 10 days out and I get a call from my agent that see if I could speak in Canada. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go. So I, flew up to Can- I, I flew up to Canada two weeks later, spoke, flew back home. And um, I was gone. I was out. I missed two weeks of work. I didn't miss six weeks. Um, but it, it was it's a it's a validation of, you know, investing in your health and early detection of anything like you. Those two things we all control. We're responsible for, quite honestly, is taking care of ourselves. And part of that is doing exams and follow ups like what we should do from annual checkups and all those things the earlier you know the better chance of your survival and that includes almost everything um and the better shape you're in is going to be your greatest weapon against that disease or or that issue and i've validated that many times in my life and that's why i've, I've been passionate about my health when i was a kid way back when i was like eight years old seeing cartoon characters and magazines of spider-man and batman those how they were built that's what sparked everything and then sports is just built on that, but it's always been a passion of mine. Um, it's part of my lifestyle and I just, I never, I never surrender it. It's just, it, it's a much, it's a, it's a better way. I, I, it's just, a, it's a, it's a better way to live. I mean, it's yeah. just a, it's, it, it's an easier way to live. I mean, I love playing with my grandkids and I love hunting. I love going to the mountains. I love experiencing all those things. And, um, I just, I value it and I'll invest in it forever. Yeah. And it's and it's served me right and saved my life many times. Okay, I've got more questions for you, but we've been on here for an hour. Can you keep can you keep going with me for a little bit or do you need to go? I need to make sure, sure I totally respect your time. Um do you tell me. Want to like do you want to do 10 more minutes? Something yep, like that'd that. Be fine. Okay. Um yeah, I agree with you. As a gym as a former gymnast, not at a pro level or anything like that, but just but gymnastics is part of me forever. It still is, even at 52. It just is. Right. Amazing. But that's good. So, you, you probably learned. I mean, listen, gymnastics, I love gym. I wish I would have yeah. been a gymnast. I, I wish I'd have done that because you, you're tall. The balance. Well, but the things you guys learn and, you know, yeah. how you stretch, how you have to control yourself. I mean, that, you know, that your core strength is important. Core strength is just, a big deal. Yeah. And what you learn, you know, from flexibility and, you, well, listen, you, you, you learn to invest in your health. You learn to invest your body. And the more we can teach kids that and the value in it and how to do it, the better chance they're going to have, you know, long-term with their health. Cause our, you know, our country is in such a trouble with obesity. I mean, we are the 11th, the 11th most obese country in the world. And, you know, when you say 11, you know, you got to know how many countries there are to realize how devastating that is. There's over 190 countries. We're 11. We're going to be number one in 2030. I mean, and our kids, quite honestly, they're leading the charge. They're as obese uh, uh, age group as there is in this world. I think our our youth is number one. You know, as a country, we're 11. Yeah. Sports, sports, sports. What's your your remedy for that? Get up, get up, get off the computer, get off your phone and move or 
Well, actually, no. I mean, see, you know, I, I think that's a mistake. Um, you know, okay. here's what I mean. I had kids. I mean, my kids, I mean, the, my son played Xbox as much as anybody played Xbox, but he was also out in the backyard playing on the basketball court as much as anybody. Yeah. And as long as they had that balance, I had no problem with him. He learned a lot playing from Xbox, especially because he played sports. He played football, basketball. He learned how to do some things I like sports from from the video game aspect. Yeah. And then he'd run outside and play basketball and I'd throw him back, I'd throw him foot, I mean, so he was, he did both things. So that's why yeah. um, I'm okay with that, you know? Now, if they're not active at all, then that's gonna be a problem. I mean, it, it just will because, and then you look at, you know, what kids consume today and sugar is the most toxic, toxic chemical that we have on this planet. It exceeds drugs, alcohol, and opioids. And I know there'll be people listening right now go, hey, you can't say that. There's there's laws. There's You can't do – okay, that's my point. Um, first of all, there's only a limit of how much sugar we should have a day. It's 36 grams for a male – 35 for a male, 26 for a female. That's yeah. all you should have. Now, there's no age limit to how much sugar you're concerned. Um, there's no legal um, ramifications for you to get it. So that means any kid who has – seven eight bucks and wants to go down to a store pick up a coke and a smile for 45 grams of sugar they've already exceeded their sugar intake they do that over and over and over as much as they want when they want and sugar when you think that's the number one first of all there's no there's no nutritional value in it it stores as fat quicker than anything um it creates when you help we think about obesity people think they go right to Diabetes too. That diabetes is like twelfth on the list when you think of damaging things to a, a young kid. When you think of overall skeletal structure, okay, nutrition is important. If you have a lot of sugar and you have inactivity, because I ran board meetings on this, I've done national campaigns. I've met with some of the best doctors in the world who share this information because I was blown away by it. the skeletal structure and or the lack thereof because of no inactivity, um, poor uh, poor nutrition that they have bad hips, bad knees at the teens, not, not 70, they're teens, yeah. cardiovascular disease, you, you name it from a, a, a skeletal to internal struggle with too much sugar and no activity. It is, yeah. you, there's more damage and a more decaying, eroding, eroding aspect that you will deal with in your life than anything you could do in sports today that have all the right protocols in place and instruction in place. Sports is the safe, the safest and best environment we have had in the history of sports. And we have parents keeping their kids out of it for fear of things that they've been misinformed on, unfortunately. And they haven't done their due diligence to educate themselves on the true facts so that they don't live in fear and they make bad judgments when we, when we're not, and when we're uneducated um, and we're in fear. Yeah. The, yep. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot to talk about right there. <laughs> I, I kind of, well, there is I that, that's on, why I wrote that book. I, well, yeah. The uh, brainwashed, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Just because it, it's really, it, it, it's kind of, quite honestly, it's, I mean, it's about the truth of the science too and head trauma. It, it gets, gets yeah. you the honest facts of that. Cause I read all the science. I have a three board certified forensic professor to help me in the process of that so that we shared all of the correct stuff and we can prove all of that. But it's also about just the, va all the things that are in sports now that you should know are in sports now. And if you knew we were in sports and you were educated about it and knew what to ask, you'd feel a lot more confident 
about your kids playing sports. And here's, here's a, I'll leave this really quick, Elizabeth, with you with how I can identify when a person hears information and they're unsure and they live in fear. Um, we built a home in Arizona. I remember we first moved out there. And when you're in Arizona, you have a pool. Well, I never had a pool. Um, I have kids. Okay. I think my kids are around three and two or whatever their ages were, but they're very young. And I remember as soon as we open up the pool, everybody, it's our first summer, first, everything on the news all week long is all the deaths from the previous year, all the people who died, how they died, all these kids that died. And they say, okay, listen, have this sensor in the pool, this sensor on your doors, kids got swimming lessons, you got to know CPR. Well, I did every one of those things, but one CPR, like I didn't know CPR. And I remember at nights, I would just like, I would be, I'd be worried to death, sick, just like, gosh, dang it. You know, I'm not prepared to do it. I don't even know how to do it. I, but I'm getting, I'm doing all the other things, but man, it just, I was uneasy about it because I didn't know about it. So I dropped my kids off for swimming. I asked the swim instructor one day, instructor one day about CPR. And they go, well, listen, we give those classes here if you want to stick around while your kids are in swimming. So I'm like, oh yeah. So I do that. I learned to do CPR. Okay, here's what happened. I became educated and empowered with the right tools to apply if something goes wrong. That doesn't mean that nothing will go wrong, but now I was at more peace because I had educated myself. I had done the right things to understand how you handle things. And if somebody needed CPR, I'd be able to do it. And it was, I, I, I slept in peace. I had much more peace um, about it. And my point in saying that, because I remember, you know, like the door would go off or I'd make sure things, I would just lived in fear. Yeah, we have a know, pool. The whole like, time. Completely yeah. Big. So yeah, I was like, kids. Each two years apart, we had a pool. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I taught yeah. them all. So, I mean, yeah. just yeah. if you help people educate themselves yeah. and I know the real facts, and that's really what drove me to, about the book is I just, once I understood the truth and, and, and how distinctly different it was from what you hear in the news, it was disturbing. It was like, then if I don't say anything, I'm actually worse than the people lying out there because I do know the truth and to not speak up. And I've lived it. I've lived every aspect of it. It isn't like I just heard it or read it. I've lived it. I've lived it as a player. I've lived it as a coach. And most importantly, I've lived it as a parent. Every aspect of every level of every degree, from having it to dealing with it, from my own kids experiencing it. And by the way, they experienced it, my son, by slipping and falling in a shower. Leading cause of head trauma in this entire country is tripping and falling. Yeah. The environment where it's more than likely going to happen, the most dangerous, mm-hmm. your home. Yeah. So you can't sit there and go, oh, I'm not going to let them play sports because I don't want them to have a head trauma or concussion. And I don't want that to happen either. We'd like to avoid that the best we can. And things that are in place today are helping remedy that. However, when it happens, know what to do about it and know that it can be taken care of and treated. And it's not going to be it's not going to lead to some brain disease later in life. There's no scientific evidence to back that whatsoever. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about just before we go, the, the your Highmark Caring Foundation? Well, you know, I actually just resigned from there. Oh, okay, just, just, that, that's okay. But I mean, it's it's a uh, it's an important aspect of my life. I was there thirty five years uh, as a chairman there. Um, but it's a grieving center for families that have lost a loved one, and that was stimulated. There's a long story to that, but identify with it because I lost my mom at a young age. And uh, but you know, I'll tell you this: the Chuck Knoll Foundation for Brain Injury Research is the board I sit on now. And it's um, it, since we're on this subject, it's just a really powerful board where we're trying to help in all aspects of brain health and injury it's not just sports because listen if i just mentioned tripping and falling 
the home is the most dangerous environment. That is a fact. You can you do your research, you'll figure that out and you'll see that. But when you think of brain health too, shoot, our, our biggest concern is outside of sports. It's not in sports. Sports just gets the attention. You know, it's um your home environment, you know, kids' mental health. I mean, those things are, are a much bigger concern and a bigger passion of mine than just sports. Sports is just the thing everything gets gravitated to because I played it and, and, and we're still doing stuff there too. We're not ignoring that, but there's a bigger scope there than I think people understand. And we're trying to help in all those areas. Well, I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's really cool that you're doing that. Like it's, it's such a good use of, of time and energy to help the kids and parents and everybody understand uh, that aspect because it is pretty confusing. And I, I personally was pretty nervous to let my boys play football. Um, and they, and a couple of them did, and, uh, two of them did out of the four, but because of that, right. I'm like, ah, you know, you, you, and I didn't know one way or the other. And I'm like, well, you know, I was raised with every guy around me playing football and there were no issues. And I still talked to all of them, you know, yeah, well, <laughs> well, let me just say this. I mean, football. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned, you know, there's, there's dumb and stupid. Okay. Well, dumb is common sense. No, you know, if you don't use your common sense, so you just mentioned common sense, you, there's been hundreds of millions, mil, hundreds of millions of kids who have played contact sports over the hundred plus years that football, you throw Canada up in there. I mean, contact sports have been around and that was a time frame We equipment was paper mache to what we have today. Yeah. No instruction. If, I mean, little instruction, if any, um, and that instruction was poor. Um, uh, there was zero protocols for for care of yeah. head trauma. We did nothing for them. There was absolutely no care in the process. And that existed for hundreds of millions of people at all levels. Yeah. So when you, you know, that's like, so you got to use your common sense. And when somebody, you know, claims that somebody has, um, has committed suicide because they played sports and football and they had CT. Okay, first of all, to claim somebody committed suicide and you know what that is, do you know how grotesquely harmful that is? There is no such, they don't even know what part of the brain we get, we get from um, depression aspects of things. When people get in depression, nobody, so, and nobody knows what causes, what somebody to go to suicide. Nobody knows that. If you did and you could figure that out, I mean, you pay the, you, you have just done some of the most incredible things for this entire country. So to say something caused without the evidence, scientific evidence and physical and medical backing to say that, that is what is so disturbing and what is said in the media. So, you know, to your point, like you were, you were scared. Um, I remember when I first started coaching, I had a protocol for my youth football team. If you had any type of head trauma, game practice, you'd removed, you didn't play that week or the next week and you didn't practice all week. Do you know who the first person, it happened to me twice in my seven years of coaching, and this happens around 2008, nine, my first couple. Do you know who was the first person to come to me and tell me that their son was fine, he was playing, he was happy, he was running around, he didn't look anything, nothing looked wrong with him? Mom. Mom came to me to tell me that. And I was like, that's good. I, I, in fact, you, you just said yeah. something to me made me feel so good, but he's not playing. And the only reason I put that into place, this is 2003. <laughs> you got, but you got, yeah. Yeah. And now mom, now mom's <laughs> going, oh, he's not going to play. And I understand the parenting aspect, but I also understand the ignorant parenting yeah. perspective because I've been in both areas and we make really bad decisions when we're uninformed. 
how can you possibly make an, a, a rational one and a reasonable one if you're not educated or you're uninformed? And I go back to that book. That's that's ultimately why I wrote it. So you can empower parents about what the true science is, what the true evidence is, and then all of the good things that exist in sports that you need to look at and what you need to know about sports. So when you put your kids in them, you make sure that they're you hold your feet to the fire, that they're doing those things. Shoot, you do that. It's the best environment for sports in the history of our kids. I wish I could go back and play sports right now. You know, there's, um, well, aside from my bubble wrap comment that's going on in my head right now, which I don't know whether I should, I'll tell you offline my bubble wrap comment. I won't say it right now, but like I used to say, just bubble All right, wrap. later. Okay, anyway, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm thinking about just people, you know, sports, college athletes, just go to a college athlete. You know, they are so hireable. Talk about that for a minute. Their work ethic, their mindset, their everything. To, I know people that look to hire college athletes because of, of their skill set. Well, you know, sports are valuable. There's, there's a lot to, yeah, there's a lot to un, unload there because, you know, like sports does, it goes, it, like things I've, I've yeah. talked about, it helps build resiliency and what not a better thing for our kids and people today to build resiliency yeah. because of what's happened in the last couple of years. But, you know, in sports, you, yeah, you got to be responsible. You got to be accountable. You got to be prepared and you learn the difference when you're not. And if you're, you know, if you're coaching these sports, especially in the youth level to be able to teach them as life lessons. I, I mean, Chuck Knowles, the greatest teacher I was around and not just the greatest coach and the greatest man. He was a great teacher about life, your life's work and how these are applicable and how they're going to be transferred and applied. And if you're going to do them bad here, you're going to do them bad over there. And teaching you all of those accountability tools and giving you a good tool belt for life um, and how that will be effective in your world, um, in the real world, is just an insurmountable um, advantage when you do get to experience that as a young kid um, and how it can be inherently developed and then applied um, and done right. I mean, those are the things that we... Um, you know, there's that we need to do in sports. And listen, that doesn't mean everybody's doing them right. Coached for a long time and ran camps for a long time. It's built thousands and thousands of coaches. Um, and then when I think about camps or youth sports, like in youth sports, in my environment, I, I really had three issues. Parents, parents, and parents. And, <laughs> and more and, parents. And camps. And camps, you know, it's usually, you know, parents, coaches, <laughs> parents, you know. <laughs> Yeah, occasional kid throw pizza on the ceiling, big deal. You know, I mean, but kids are not the problem. Yeah, we had. I know you got to go, but we had. We were coaching little league one year, and um, one parent called us about their child playing or not playing. It was like an hour and a half voicemail. Like as long as our show right now, just like my kids wow. best player out there. You know, like mm-hmm. oh my god, it's one of those where you just like this with the phone. <laughs> I've like, dealt. I've dealt with that. Yeah, I've dealt with that. Yeah. You oh know, the, there's the. There's ways to handle people like that, oh, too. Man. You know what I mean? But anyway. But, yeah. Okay. We got to go because we could go three more hours. And we took. That's yeah, a true we got story. A lot, of, a lot of life to catch up. Um, but it's it's so fun to start to talk to you. And um, I hope you come back Thank again. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my, so much fun. And happy Valentine's Day. And just yeah, same, same, yeah. same to you. This is special. I'm like, I'm around, my wife and I are going to dinner. Uh, but we go differently because uh, – um, this was 19 year ago, 19 years ago today, I was diagnosed with cancer. 19 yeah. years ago today, I filled, I, I would feel the call from my doctor confirming that I had a three pound tumor in my lower back. So Valentine's Day for me is Special different. Day. 
than most, but very special now. And what I hope that gives people hope there's people that may be watching this or know people that are dealing with that. And I found hope in people, especially people that are survived. And that gave me hope and that gave me energy. So hopefully we can um, help somebody that might be challenged, you know, struggling right now and having a bad day, you know, on this day. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Everybody. you. All righty. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.